There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash forward. Some people get married thinking it's a guarantee against loneliness, only to find themselves among the millions of lonely and disappointed spouses. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the causes and consequences of loneliness in marriage, as well as God's model for the ideal marriage. From overcoming loneliness, here's David to introduce today's message, The Lonely Spouse. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, We're going to tackle this problem today. It may surprise you to even hear such a thing, that there's loneliness in marriage, but most everybody will acknowledge that. Sometimes we get so close, we end up being far apart. Sometimes we take each other for granted, and we don't realize that there are individual, personal, social needs that we we have to have a response to in our marriages. We're going to talk about all of this in the next two days from Ephesians chapter 5. I know I have your attention. I know you'll listen. Call somebody and tell them what we're talking about. Encourage them to listen as well. Say, friends, there's a study guide for this series and a CD package that goes with it, too. And uh, we make these available from our website. So go to davidjeremiah.org. There you will see uh, the products that are associated with this series. But I'll tell you about one that you don't have to go to the website and look up because I'm going to give you all the details. The major resource for the month of August is a book that goes along with this particular discussion. It's called God Has Not Forgotten You. He is with you even in uncertain times. This 190-page hardcover gift book features 10 chapters. It provides comfort and encouragement when you might feel alone, and it's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during difficult days. So when you send your gift today, your gift of any amount to Turning Point, ask for this resource, and we'll send it to you right away. We have them in the warehouse ready to be shipped as soon as we get your request. Your gift helps us. It enables us to continue to buy airtime and produce radio programs all over the United States and around the world. So you're necessary. You're important. We want to treat you as a good friend and provide this thank you gift for your investment. Well, let's jump into this very um, difficult subject. Let's talk about what it means to be a lonely spouse. Perhaps what I'm talking about could best be introduced by a letter that was written by a very lonely woman to a very well-known counselor. It was addressed in the following way, and I quote, John and I were deeply in love when we got married. We struggled during the first two or three years with our financial problems, but I knew he loved me and he knew that I loved him. Then something slowly began to change. I'm not sure how to describe it, but it seemed to be wrapped up in the fact that he received a promotion about five years ago and that that required him to work longer hours. We needed the money, 
So we didn't mind the extra time he was putting in, but it never seemed to stop. Now he comes home late every evening. He's so tired I can actually hear his feet dragging as he approaches the door. I look forward to his coming home all day because I've got so much to tell him, but he never feels like talking. So I fix his dinner and he eats it alone. Of course, I've already eaten with the kids earlier that night. After dinner, John makes a few phone calls and works at his desk. Frankly, she wrote, I kind of like to hear him talk on the telephone just so I can hear his voice. Then he watches television for a couple of hours and he goes to bed except on Tuesday when he plays basketball and sometimes has a meeting at the office. Every Saturday morning he plays golf with three of his friends and then on Sunday we're in church most of the day. Believe me, there are times when we go for a whole month or two without having a real in-depth conversation. You know what I mean, she wrote. I get so lonely that sometimes in that house with those three kids climbing all over me, I don't know what to do. And there aren't any women in the neighborhood I can talk to. Most of them have gone back to work already. There are other irritations about John. He never takes me out to dinner. He forgot her anniversary last month. And honestly, I don't believe he's ever had a romantic thought in his life. He wouldn't know a rose from a carnation. And his Christmas card last year was signed just John. There's no closeness. There's no warmth. There's nothing between us. And frankly, it's more than I can handle. Now, what that woman wrote to her counselor, she probably thought was an experience that she alone possessed. Unfortunately, what she wrote represents the experience of countless number of women, perhaps as many as 90% of those who get divorces, later confess that one of the reasons for their ultimate breakup in their marriage was the unbearable loneliness of living together but being very far apart. Someone has said that a man who treats his wife like the one I've just described is guaranteed that they become a matched pair. He will work like a horse and she will nag. (laughs) Now the result of a man who neglects his wife and his family and produces that kind of a lonely feeling within her is multitudinous and we can't chart it really. But there are six or seven things that happen as the result of it. As we go back and do the study, we can trace them. First of all, many women respond to the loneliness created in their own home by going out and getting a job. They sublimate all of the energies that should be directed to their home and to their family, and they find themselves involved in a job, and they give everything to that, and somehow it makes it almost tolerable to live in the same home of a non-communicating mate. Some women, frankly, take their hostility out on their own husband by joining a militant women's group and become very hostile toward men in general because they don't have the courage to do it toward the man in specific with whom they have to do. Some stay home and just get depressed. Some have an affair. Some crawl in a bottle taking alcohol or drugs. And there's a growing number of women in our generation who are following the pattern of the men of the last generation. They just get in their car, they get fed up with it all, and they drive, and they never come back. If you've done any reading recently in sociology, you know that one of the new phenomenon is runaway wives instead of runaway husbands. I suppose that among many Christians, what I'm talking about may be the best-kept secret in the Christian church. For you see, when we come to church on Sunday, we come arm in arm. People look at us and say, my, aren't they a lovely couple? They must have a great relationship at home, and we may have just had the worst fight in the world in the car before we walked into church. 
If I've learned anything about people, I've learned this, that what you often see on the outside may not be related to what's going on within. There are some of you who hear me as I speak in this very sensitive issue of home relationships who are hurting deeply in your heart, but not even your closest friend knows it. You haven't told anyone. Down beneath that facade is a person who cries out because of the hurt of loneliness. I want to talk to you about that. And I want to talk to you men specifically about your responsibility. And I want to segment the men if I can. The circle is getting smaller and smaller, you see. For there are some of you guys who might as well turn your hearing aids off. You've already determined that your pattern is set and you're not going to change anyway. You're in the truest sense a representation of male chauvinism. And it's a man that's saying that to you, not a woman. You're like the person who's described in a song you may have heard called Put Another Log on the Fire. Have you heard that one? It goes like this. Put another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and some beans, and go out to the car and change the tire, wash my socks and sew my old blue jeans. Come on, baby, you can fill my pipe, then go fetch my slippers and boil me up another pot of tea, then put another log on the fire, babe, and come tell me why you're leaving me. (laughs) And now don't I let you wash the car on Sunday? And don't I warn you when you're getting fat? And ain't I going to take you fishing someday? Well, a man can't love a woman more than that. Ain't I always nice to your kid sister? Don't I take her driving every night? So sit here at my feet, because I like you when you're sweet, and you know it ain't feminine to fight. Come on, baby, you can fill my pipe and go fetch my slippers and boil me up another pot of tea. Then put another log on the fire, babe, and come tell me why you're leaving me. I know some guys like that who, if God himself came down and confronted them with where they are, they wouldn't change because they don't want to. And if you're in that group, you have my permission to go to sleep, turn off your hearing aid, or just look interested when you really aren't, because I really don't have anything to say to you. But if you're a man like I am who cares deeply that you continue to grow in an area that in our culture is a great struggle, then turn the volume up loud because God has something to say to you. The key verse in Ephesians 5, which deals with our responsibility to dispel the loneliness in our homes, men, applies to all we're talking about. It simply says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And in this text... Paul gives us some insight into that love that will help us as men to know what God wants us to do in response to that responsibility. There are five characteristics of that love that I would like to share with you, and I want you to observe them with me in the text simply as the principles that God has given to us by the picture of the relationship of Christ to the church as it mirrors the relationship of a husband to his wife. How did he love the church? However he did it, it's exactly that way that we're to love the woman God has given us to be our wife. I share with you in all earnestness, it was not romantic sentimentism. The Bible does not say, for Christ so felt sentiment toward the church that he sent his only son. The Bible says that he loved the church 
And that love is a kind of love which does not keep score, nor is it an operation of performance. So the first principle that we notice in this text is this, that Jesus Christ loved the church realistically, and husbands are to love their wives realistically. One of the things I've learned in talking with many people who are hurting in this area is that they somehow got off love for love's sake, and they got on love for performance sake. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read a very excellent book on marriage written by Tim Timmons called One Plus One, but it's one of the finest books that you'll read. I used to give it to all of the couples who got married in our church. It's the kind of a book that helps you to understand what love really is and what it isn't. For it teaches you that love is not based upon what your partner does for you, nor on his or her performance, but that it is the kind of thing where you love because of the person that God has given you. I read a letter that was written to me after I preached a message on marriage, written from a woman from the Chicago area, and she wrote these words. She says, I never feel like I measure up. It's never good enough no matter what I do, never seems to measure up. So my relationship with my husband seems to be a day-to-day, up-and-down situation. If I'm good, he loves me. If I'm not, he doesn't. I want to ask you to do something for me right now, men. I want you to think carefully. If Christ would have loved you as a part of the church, knowing what you are and what you're going to become, if his love was conditioned upon that, where would you be? He loved you in spite of it. That's one of the most overwhelming thoughts to me about the love of the Lord for me. He did not love me and then find out later what I was. He loved me through the omniscient love of a holy, sovereign God, knowing at the moment that he set his love upon me all that I would ever do to violate that love, and he kept right on loving me, even to the death of the cross. And it's that kind of love that is enjoined upon us as husbands as we relate to our wives. Our love is to be realistic. It is to be based upon fact and not fancy. It is a love which includes faults and failures and all of the unlovely and disagreeable elements that are a part of each one of us. And we love in spite of that, and we love through that, and we love because of that. And it's that kind of love Christ had for the church, and it's that kind of love he expects you to have for your wife. One of the problems a lot of young people face as they get married is that they have set up very unrealistic expectations of what marriage is all about. And then when they get into the situation, they discover that it isn't what they thought it was. I don't know where they get those unrealistic expectations. I think it comes from watching too many television movies or going to too many plays, reading too many romantic novels, and they feel like it is a happening. Have you ever noticed how we describe that whole process? We fall in love. I always get a mental picture when I hear that phrase of walking down the street and falling into this huge gaping hole that just envelops me. (laughs) I fell in love. Some enchanted evening across a crowded room and then you wake up the first morning and you see across the breakfast table curlers and no makeup and reality is striking hard. (laughs) I think one of the callings we have as a church, if I could just digress for a moment, 
is to do away with the surrealism that has developed in our culture about marriage and the family and hold up God's standard, which really has very little to do with the external and has everything to do with the beauty of the person of the inward man. And ask God to help us to hold that standard up so that our young people growing up will get a realistic appraisal of what marriage is and then they won't get bombed out when they get into a marriage situation and discover that what they thought it was, what they heard it was, what they saw it was, it wasn't. Christ's love for the church was realistic and our love for our mate is to be realistic. Notice secondly, his love was sacrificial. Notice what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ counted the cost and gave up himself for us. His love was not sentiment. His love was sacrifice. His love was what cost him his life. And so many today are trying to find a relationship that doesn't cost anything. They have their hands out all the time, wanting to receive, but never willing to give. One lady said not too long ago, I find it easy to give everything in my marriage except one thing, and that is in. I can't give in. Yet you see, love and a relationship between a man and his wife is a constant giving in one to the other. I know you men love it when we preach from this passage about the submission of the wife to her husband, but I want to get all of you women off the hook, at least to some degree in this respect, that that passage teaches as clearly as it can mutual submission one to another. And there is a sense in which the chain of command within the home is reflected in the command to the wife to submit to her husband. But it is also true, and it is very prevalent in this passage, that we are to be constantly submitting one to another. And the marriages that I know that work are marriages where mutual submission is a constant, ongoing thing. It is a blending of ourselves together, a giving of ourselves, a determination that we will sacrifice whatever we have to for the sake of our loved one and of our relationship. It's interesting to me that the word sacrifice is made up of two words, the word sacra, which means holy, and the word physio, which means to make, to make holy. And so it means that we are to make holy at great cost the person that we love. This means, men, that if we are going to love our wives as we ought to love them, if that love is going to be the means God uses to dispel the loneliness of their heart, it will be a love that will cost us interest and time and pleasures and ambitions and friends. And it will come to us at this level that nothing has a priority over my wife, no matter how important that may seem to be. We will love sacrificially. One lady wrote, she said, when I ask my husband to spend time with the kids or with me, it's always tentative. If I become pushy about it, then he says, I'm nagging. Honestly, I never wanted anything from him but himself and some part of him, and you can only ask for so long, there's a limit to how long you can be ignored and put off. You threaten to leave without meaning it until you keep the threat. You consider all the unpleasant consequences until they don't seem unpleasant anymore. You decide that nothing could be more unpleasant than being alone and feeling worthless. You finally make your mind that you're going to be a person with real worth as an individual. You assert your ego. You join womanhood again. That's what I did, she wrote. 
I wanted to be more than a housekeeper, a diaper changer, and a sex partner. I wanted to be free from the deep bitterness and guilt that slowly aided my spiritual and psychological sanity. Deep inside, there was something making me not only dislike my husband, but everything he did and everything he touched. His I love you became meaningless to me because he didn't act like it. His gifts were evidence to me of his guilt because he didn't spend more time with me. His advances toward me sexually were met with frigidity that frustrated both of us and deepened the gap between us. All I wanted, she wrote, was to feel as though he really wanted to be with me. But no matter how hard he tried, I always had the feeling that I was keeping him from something. Just once, she wrote, I wish he could have canceled something for us instead of canceling us. All of a sudden, I woke up one day and realized that I had become a terribly bitter person. I had not only resented my husband and his work, but I was beginning to despise myself. So in desperation, I left. I don't think he really believed I'd leave him. I don't think he ever really believed I'd do it, but I did. You say, Pastor, that's scary. And yes, it is. For you see, the unfortunate thing about such a relationship where a man is totally inattentive to his wife is the fact that sometimes he doesn't even know it. At the bottom of all of this is the fact that somebody somewhere in the relationship has refused to pay the price to keep the relationship alive. I want to remind you that if we as husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that is a sacrificial love for Christ gave himself up for the church. And that's what God is calling upon all of us to do if we're to emulate him in our homes. And I want you to notice thirdly that Christ loved the church purposefully. Notice what it says in verse 27. He loved the church in order that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The purpose behind the love of Christ for his church was the fulfillment and development of that church so that it could be all that he envisioned it to be. And the purpose and the goal and the motivation behind the love of a man for his wife is in order that his wife might become all that she should be as a person. It is quite opposed to the attitude of some men that I know who try to hold down any involvement or development or growth on the part of their wife. They are threatened by any of her gifts or any of her abilities. And so they do everything they can to stifle her. They shut her down as a person until she begins to doubt her own worth. The Bible teaches that a man who loves his wife will find his goal for that love in the full development and maturity of that woman until she becomes all that she should be and all that she can be. And we are the facilitator men to make that happen in the plan of God. And women, may I say this to you just in passing, that no matter what the libbers say, a woman never really finds fulfillment in any other setting in terms of relationships, quite like she finds it when she has a good man who believes in her and wants her to be all she should be and develops and encourages her and is a facilitator for her to become a mature person. That's really where it's at. Someone has translated a song we often sing and made it say what we're saying goes like this. Take my wife and let her be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's not a bad motive, is it? Lord, 
Just help me to be in the life of the woman that I love, someone who develops her spiritually until she is all that she should be before thee. Our love as men should be a love with a purpose. We will have more to say about that tomorrow here on Turning Point. I hope you'll finish out the week with us as we conclude our discussion of the lonely spouse. Uh, During the month of August, we're making available a beautiful gift book called God Has Not Forgotten You. He is with you even in uncertain times. And uh, this book is 190 pages. It's a hardback book with 10 chapters providing comfort and encouragement when you may feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during challenging times. And friends, it's beautifully adorned. Uh, You will be encouraged just to look at the color on each page. Uh, Whoever did this for us, I'm not sure, but I know that it is gorgeous. And it's something that will be a blessing to you. It looks good, but it speaks good too. It has so much truth in it to help you in times when you may feel alone. You might not need it now, but you'll remember that you have it, and when you need it, it'll be there for you. So don't forget to ask for a copy of this book when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. We're coming to your area for a rally if you live in Texas or in Florida. We're going to be in Tampa, Florida on the 5th of October, Jacksonville, Florida on the 7th of October, Houston, Texas on the 26th of October, and Fort Worth, Texas on the 28th of October. If you want to know all the details about these rallies, here's what you need to do. Go to davidjeremiah.org slash tour. There you will find out the details, and there you can order your tickets. They're free, but you must have a ticket. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Overcoming Loneliness, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's reassuring new book, God Has Not Forgotten You a comforting reminder that God is working all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org. radio This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Overcoming Loneliness, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. 
That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. When someone asked W.C. Fields why he was reading the Bible, he was said to have answered that he was looking for a loophole. Jesus Christ had little patience in his day for religious people who looked for ways to avoid obeying God. For example, some religious people avoided supporting their parents financially because they said their money had been dedicated to God, when of course it hadn't. A true sign of love for God is looking for reasons to meet His expectations, not avoid them. There is more joy to be found in serving God with a whole heart than just with half. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the pleasure of serving God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.